I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm glad everybody could make it, and hopefully everybody has their spiritual eyes on and their spiritual ears on and their spiritual mind to understand and to read and discern what the scriptures of God are saying, these spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words. Because as we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the last verse, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind that can really comprehend what these scriptures are all about. We have the mind that can remember all the scriptures that come from the Bible that pertain to the subject that we're on. We need not that a man teach us anything because we've got God's anointing and as God's anointing is real and not counterfeit. It teaches us to abide in Christ, which means not to abide in our own human effort or our own human intellect to try and learn these truths out of the Bible, but to abide in the mind of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 2.16 says. Cause us to be able to greet one another and welcome one another as, as men of spirit right now, as men who are in the spirit and are manifesting the mind of Christ, not as mere men who bring their human intelligence and their human intellect here to the podcast because we don't really have any need for that. And allow me to speak the words that only you speak through me, Father, because like we said, nobody wants to listen to my human intellect, that's for sure. So you speak, Father, you do the podcast. You take over and line things up and put everything in a format that everybody else can hear and understand because I certainly can't do it. But with that in mind, over the last few podcasts, we have looked at at several ideas, several thoughts that the Bible teaches us. And hopefully we've learned several new covenant concepts that maybe we never knew before. I know For a lot of my Christian life, like 20 years, I had not picked up on these actual biblical concepts. All I had was concepts that the microphone or the pulpit had given me. Commercial Christianity concepts are what I had. I didn't really have biblical concepts. And there is a difference as anybody can attest to who's been listening to the last few podcasts because those podcasts have shown scriptures and informed us by using those scriptures and the information we got was probably not like the information we were getting over the radio or through the television. There seems to be a difference, a tangible difference, a noticeable difference in what is being taught to us. I just want to make sure that we realize it is the Bible that is teaching us over the last few podcasts, because that's all I've ever done was point to scriptures in the Bible and read what those scriptures had to say. Wasn't any thoughts or opinions from Steve, never, not once. It was all Bible verses that we read. Any problems you have with those verses as they're bucking the traditions that are in our mind, you're having those problems with the Bible, not with Steve. It's the Bible that was telling you those things, because I was just pointing to Bible verses. But those Bible verses, they showed us that, number one, we're not under the law anymore as New Covenant believers. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
Romans 6.14, and we are under the, the grace system of living the Christian life, meaning we rely on God's grace to come through us and manifest itself through us, and we live by a reliance on the Spirit of God to show Himself in us. That's what it means to live by grace. It doesn't mean to live by the the one idea that he died at the cross for our sins, so now we can live any way we want. We're, we're not doing that. We're trying, all trying, to live a better Christian life. And we're saying the way of life in Christ is better than the way of life with the Ten Commandment mentality, the human performance mentality, where we, in our human determination, try to be pleasing to God and the people around us. That way of life, as we know from personal experience, doesn't get us very far, especially if we're being honest with ourselves. It doesn't get us very far. Half the time, under that way of system, we have to hide who we truly are and put up the best front when we come to church or we're around the people that could possibly judge us. Other people who are under the commandment mentality, the legalists that can condemn us for not legally behaving up to the standards of God, up to the commandments of God. But we saw that we were not under the commandment mentality, but we were under the mentality that believes that God can do for me what I can't do for myself. This is called the grace covenant. We rely on grace of God and not our human determination. But we saw the other verses like that were warning us about putting ourselves under the law or putting other people under the law. Verses like in Romans 7 where it says, and through the commandment sin sprang to life. And through the commandment, sin deceived me and killed me. Or 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. the power of sin is the law. Both of those passages were warning us about or showing us the consequences of putting ourselves under the Ten Commandment human effort mentality. That's literally how sin becomes active and wreaks havoc in our lives. It's no longer dormant. When we're like when we're under the grace system, but when we're under the legalistic system, it becomes very active, very operative. It springs to life or it springs into operation and it deceives you and kills you and makes you do what you don't want to do and you don't do what you do want to do and you do the very evil you hate. I'm referring to Romans seven fourteen through 25 about all that Paul said that the sin guy that was within him was making him do as the sin guy was mastering him and was more powerful than him in his own determination. It made him end up feeling like a wretch, and he cried out in 7.24, Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, this body that sins, this nasty body that I have? And he says, Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, God telling Jesus what to do through us saves us from ourselves, saves us from that body of sin, that body that has sin in its members and the sin in its members wages war against the law in its mind and makes it a prisoner to sin in its members. And God himself sets us free. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live and do this or that. Romans eight thirteen, I believe. If by the Spirit you are doing that. What about Romans 8, 4? All the righteous requirements of the law will be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power. So we were having warnings and told to use the Spirit's power. What about Galatians 3, 3? You foolish Galatians, after having begun with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal of the Christian life by human effort? Oh my gosh. No, no, let us not do that because we looked at the scriptures that told us not to do that. So we've learned about those scriptures that warned us and the ones that told us not to live our life with a commandment mentality, not to live our life 
by our own human determination, but to cry out to God and say, God, you do it through me. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me was not in vain because I labored harder than all the rest. Yet it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God laboring in me. Or like he says in Colossians, I want you to know how how much I struggle for you with all his working of his mighty works in me. Paul, Paul saying his working of his mighty works, the energy of his mighty works is what I labor with. That's in Colossians 1, probably 23 or 24, somewhere in there. He labors with all the power of God that it that can energize him. That's what it means to live by grace. It doesn't mean to live by that one action that God did at the cross and gave us grace, undeserved kindness at at Christ's expense. He didn't give us that mercy so that we can live like we want, like really, it's see, it's backwards. It's not live like we want because we all want to live the Christian life. It's more or less living like we don't want and seeing ourselves fall short of the glory of God and and go to places that we don't want to do and wrestle with ourselves. I should go. I shouldn't go. I'm going. And and we go to places that we shouldn't do because in our own human determination, we're trying to win the battle that rages within us. Like it says in Romans, it's sin in my members waging war against my mind, causing me to be a prisoner. Where we feel that battle at night when we're saying, should I go there or shouldn't I go there? And like it says in, in Galatians 5.17, the human nature battles against the spirit and the spirit battles against the human nature because their desires are in opposition to each other. Therefore, you don't actually do what you want to do because there's this battle that goes on within you and experientially you can say yes 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 i know what you mean i know what you mean you're you're right you're right that's what happens to me every night or every morning or whenever i wake up every day praying to be the best i can and all of a sudden i've got these battles within me or i just get in a group of people and before i've even had a chance to think about what i said i've just said the most stupid thing that could be thought of to set. And and that sin dwelling in you just embarrassing you and making your life seem foolish. And it only gets the power to do that is when you put yourself under a commandment mentality and a commandment way of life of just mustering up the the dedication to buffet the body and live for Jesus. Well, only Jesus can live for Jesus, and that's what it means to live by grace. It means to live by the power of Jesus. See, grace means more than just undeserved kindness at the cross. Grace means a whole lot more. It's a whole way of life in grace or in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. So, we, we were looking at all the verses that talked about the idea of our two natures, that the natural man, it was depicted as the natural man and the spiritual man, the divine nature and the sinful nature, the good tree, the bad tree. On and on we got to see several illustrations of the same idea, which is about our two natures, our human nature and our spiritual nature, like All the requirements of the law will be fully met by us who do not walk according to our human nature, but walk according to the spirit. See, the two natures, the spiritual nature. Do not walk according to the human nature, but walk according to the spirit nature. Put off the old man who has been corrupted in his deceitful desires and put on the new man. There the two natures are different depicted as the old man or the new man, literally the ancient man or the new man. But we saw all those scriptures that told us not to put ourselves under the law, 
They told us that we weren't under the law, not to put ourselves under the law. They warned us about putting ourselves under a human effort mentality. And then they showed us some of the reasons why. And they told us about our, our two natures. And we were looking in the last several podcasts at all those aspects and the aspect about our, our two nature. And then we got into what I feel is just the glory of the gospel, where we learned about what God did through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross and in the grave, what God did to our two natures through Christ dying, being buried, and being risen from the grave. And it's that he separated, he circumcised one nature from the other and left our human nature, our sinful nature, all the things that we don't like about ourselves. He left that in the grave and he called it a that instead of us. He identified it as a that and left it in the grave, not identified us as doing that. But he went on to seed us raise us up with Christ and seed us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, which is what Ephesians chapter 2 showed us, that we were not only raised from the dead, but we were actually seated in the heavenly realms right beside the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And there, that's where we sit according to God's view. This is what God tells us Half through the cross. And that's what's known as the gospel, the good news about the miracle that Jesus and God pulled off at the cross, whereby all men were drawn into Jesus and we were baptized into his death and we were raised again when he was raised and then we were seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And all this happened 2,000 years ago, and we never felt it happen. We never saw it happen. We only accept that by faith. That is what is called believing the gospel, believing what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. Even though we see ourselves sinning and having a bad day every day, which, as we've looked at, there's scriptures that concede that point. Like Paul said, I do what I don't want to do. I do the very evil I hate. So even Paul is conceding the point that after he was born again, he still misbehaved or didn't behave the way he wanted to. And he said it. If I'm the one doing the very evil I hate, I think it's Romans 7, 19, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me is doing the evil that I hate. Sin that dwells in me, I am no longer doing. And you see, that's the way God saw it. He did not give you and I credit for our sins, but through Christ at the cross, he separated us from that sinful flesh in which sin dwelt and sin dominated. And all that sin-dominated flesh, that human nature, stayed in the grave. And we looked at the, the scriptures that told us all about it, all of Colossians 2, 11, 12, 13, 14, that said we've been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands in the removal of the sinful flesh. It was not done by hands. It was done by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The circumcision that we do do by hand, as we know from Genesis 17, is just a symbol of what Christ did for us. Every time we take a child on the eighth day and circumcise him, we're doing a symbol of what Christ did for us on the cross in throwing away everything that we don't like about ourselves. The, the flesh that we do not like about ourselves, we throw it away as a symbol of what Christ did for us. He separated, separated us as far as the east is from the west to our sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, that you did that. With all that in mind, I, I want to bring up two verses and show another concept in the Bible, mainly in the epistles and gospels, but it's in there and it's, I won't say saturated, but there, there's a lot of places 
that this concept is in the Bible. You'll see it, and it turns out usually to be good news sandwiched in between something that's telling us, you know, that we've got to clean up our act. You know, you got to clean up your act, you got to clean up your act. But here, here is this, what's known as an eternal truth, the gospel, which is what the gospel is. Everything that we have to believe in concerning Jesus and the cross and everything that we didn't see, we put our faith in those notions, those truths, I should say. Everything that the Bible tells us about what happened on the day when Christ died, we accept by faith. God says, all this miraculous stuff was done, and I saw it from my vantage point, even though all you saw was a man get nailed to a cross and get pierced in his side and then get pulled off the cross and put in a grave only to find the grave empty three days later. Well, in these epistles, in in the Gospels too, God tells you what he saw from his vantage point, and that is what you accept by faith. We accept what he saw by faith because we weren't even born yet. Yet all this stuff happened to us. We were circumcised from Everything that we hate about ourselves and everything that embarrasses us, we were circumcised in God's eyes. We accept that truth, that one truth, that in God's eyes we were circumcised from everything that embarrasses us. We accept that by faith. An eternal doctrine, that's what is known as an eternal doctrine that we accept by faith. And with that in mind, I want us to turn to two passages because I, I want us to show another concept, that the, another way in which the Bible uses the idea of our two natures and the idea of what happened to our two natures at the cross, what, what that did for us. So let's look at Romans 6, right around verse 5 or 6, and Ephesians 4 probably around verse 20. Okay, let me start in, in Romans 6, 1, just read the whole thing. Do you know not, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Meganoita, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know and have accepted by faith? Do you not know and have accepted by faith. Have you not been told this aspect of the gospel and accepted by faith? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, here's the thing, that the old man of us was crucified. That the old man of us was crucified. Now, is that something that we we experienced, we felt something that we saw, or, or no, you, you'd say, no, I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm this face that's in front of the mirror. I'm right here. I was never crucified. No, we accept that truth, and it is a truth, and it's more true than anything. We accept that truth that in God's eyes, we were crucified with Christ on the cross. We were buried and raised from the dead and Ephesians 2 goes on to tell us that we were seated in the heavenly realms. And Colossians tells us that that was the circumcision made without hands. Colossians 2, 10 through 14. But it says, do you not know that the old man of us was past tense crucified? Do you got that? You're supposed to, to know this, that the old man of us was past tense crucified. Okay, now turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in, in maybe verse 20. 
this is going to give us another idea about the old man, and it's going to seem contradictory to Romans 6, 6. The Bible has does not have any contradictions. The Bible is inerrant, but this is going to sound like a glaring contradiction. But we'll see the reason why it is not a glaring contradiction. Okay, let's start in verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him, heard him, and have been taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former life, lay aside the old man of us, which is present tense being corrupted according with its lust and deceit. Put off the old man who is present tense being corrupted by his deceitfulness and all the bad things that he does. Put off the old man. I thought the old man was put off. Romans 6, 6 said, know this, that the old man of us was crucified. Now Ephesians 4.22 is saying, put off the old man of us, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. One has it as past tense. The other one says it's very much alive present tense. When you look in the mirror, you'd say, no, my old man is very much present tense. Both statements are true, though. Both statements are true. The Bible does not contradict itself. The first statement in Romans that we are supposed to know and believe in is from God's point of view. It is an eternal doctrine. It is a doctrine. It's called an eternal doctrine. It is accepted by faith. Eternal doctrines are accepted by faith. Temporal doctrines are about our day-to-day experience. But eternal doctrines are accepted by faith. And in Romans 6, we saw an eternal doctrine, which is God's point of view. The Bible is telling you the truth about what God saw. And if God is the witness, then what he saw counts. What we saw wouldn't count. We don't speak truth. God speaks truth. And God says the old man was crucified. Why did God say that? Because God made a covenant with us. And he said, I will put my spirit in in those days when I fulfill this covenant with them. I will put my spirit in their heart, cause them to walk in my statues and their sins and lawless deeds. I'll remember no more. So God is honoring his contract and saying, I view the old man of us as somebody who was crucified, and I'll teach you about that. And it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, which is in direct contradiction to put off the old man, which is present tense, being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The old man of us who was crucified is from God's point of view. Now, from my wife's point of view and the people who live around me, the old man is definitely being corrupted by his deceitful desires and I should get rid of him. I definitely need to clean up my act because they're definitely annoyed because of my old man, because of the old man of me. The old man of me, even though he tries to live the Christian life, just cannot do it. He cannot please the people around him. That's why it says, put off the old man of us. But this is a temporal doctrine that is regarding the old man of us. Temporal doctrine. This is a temporal point of view about the old man of us. The temporal point of view is is that he's very much alive and that I need to put him off because he'll drive everybody around me crazy if I don't. And I'm supposed to, let's go on and read Ephesians 4.22 again. Lay aside the old man of us, which is being corrupted in accordance with its lusts and deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, 
which is in the likeness of God and in, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on the new man of us. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You remember Romans 8, 5? The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace, but the mind controlled by the human nature is death. For the mind controlled by the human nature does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor is it able to do so. The mind of the human nature cannot please God, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Well, that's what this is talking about, the mind of the spirit. Or the other synonymous way it's talking about this idea of the old man of us was that it said the old man of us, or the new man of us, who's created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on that man. Put on that man. Now, that's a temporal idea of the old man of us, of the flesh. You see, there's a God's point of view, an eternal point of view about the flesh, and that point of view is that it was crucified a long time ago, so long ago that the old man of us is literally the ancient man of us. It was crucified a long time ago, and God made a covenant that said he would always view it as the man that was crucified a long time ago. So long ago that he doesn't remember the sins that it did. But then the temporal view of us is that the old man is pestering us, pestering the people around us, and we need to get rid of the old man. How do we do that? As it says in Ephesians 4.23, put on the new man who's created in the likeness of God in holiness and truth. The new man, the spirit of the mind, not the spirit of the flesh, or, or the, the, spirit, the mind of the spirit, not the mind of the flesh. Put on that new mind. Put on that new man. Put on that new heart. However you want to create the synonym for the idea of the spiritual nature, you can create it. And there's probably an example of it in the Gospels or the Epistles. However you want to say, synonymously say, the old nature, the sinful nature, the human nature, what was born and what is the face on the credit card, that's depicted another way. Hundreds of illustrations of these two natures. And this one, this illustration of these two natures is giving us a temporal idea about the two natures. Even though in Romans 6, 6, it said the old man was crucified past tense 2,000 years ago. This was God's point of view. In our point of view, he's very much alive, so let's deal with him. How? We put on the new man and live by him, which is the same thing as saying live by grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace of God was not in vain towards me because I labored harder than rest, yet it wasn't I laboring, it was the grace of God in me. Put on the, the new man who's created in God's likeness. What I'm trying to point out is that Romans 6.6 6 does not contradict Ephesians 4.20 and following. It's just showing a different view of that old man of us. It's showing God's point of view. God's point of view, he died a long time ago. Man's point of view is he's driving me crazy. He's embarrassing me. He's causing me to do things that I don't want to do. And I should live by grace. I should live by the Spirit. I should live by the power of God in me so that I can do what I want to do. But there are two different doctrines that concern the human nature and the spiritual nature. And one is that God sees the human nature as past tense. And once I show you a couple verses that have this idea, you'll be able to find it all through the New Testament, through the Gospels and the Epistles. You, you will be able to, it'll dawn on you that, oh, this is past tense about my human nature. It, it's God's point of view. Or, oh, this is present tense about my human nature or my divine nature. This is my point of view. I can see them there. But let's just look at a couple passages that make this illustration come to life. One pretty good, uh, one classic example 
is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read 1 through 7, because it actually tells us God's point of view and man's point of view in one single sentence. It has both points of view in one sentence. Okay, but let me lead up to this so you can see man's point of view and how bad this guy was. He says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even from among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst, I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present with you in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this impurity. In the name of the Lord, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord, I have decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved. See, the flesh went in the grave and died, but his spirit was circumcised away, and it lives. It does not get that judgment. Okay, it says, I have decided to deliver one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven spoils the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as in fact you are unleavened. Wait a second. Am I unleavened or do I have to clean out the old leaven? This sentence does not grammatically make sense. How can a sentence say to do what it later says you've done? Do you realize that this sentence, which is verse 7, it says, Clean out the old leaven just as in fact you have already cleaned out the old leaven. You've already cleaned out the old leaven. This guy was having sex with his mother. Does that sound like his leaven is clean? He was having sex with his mother. I'll just say it blatantly. He needed to clean that out. Clean out the old leaven just as, in fact, you already have cleaned out the old leaven. Having sex with his mother. No, cleaned out the old leaven just as, in fact, that you already have cleaned out the old leaven is from God's eternal point of view because of the covenant God made with us because of the covenant he mercifully made with us, where he said, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. He remembers them as being paid in full, and that person, the old man of us, was crucified and paid for those sins, and all the leaven is gone in God's eyes. But humanly speaking, no, you're, you're having sex with, with, with your mo- mother, your father's wife, and you need to stop it. You need to clean out that leaven. You, you need to get on a better path. So I'll urge you to get on the path, but I will point out that the good news is that God has already seen you as clean through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, just as in fact you are unleavened. For Christ is our Passover, through in you've also been sanctified. In other words, there's the truth. This is the reason why I can say you're already clean, because of what Christ did at the cross. I consider you as already clean. So get your act together because your church is going to be a lot better if you clean out that old leaven and you don't go around bragging about somebody having sex with his mother. If you clean up that, your church will be a lot better. But just know the, the eternal truth, God's point of view, is that because of the covenant that he made long ago, he sees you as already having done that, as the old man of you, which is bragging about having sex with his mother, 
that person has already died in his eyes. That's the good news. The sin has already been paid for. Now I want you to clean up your act because I can tell you about all the temporal doctrines, about all the things you need to do, just as long as you have them in their right place. As temporal doctrines, as things that I'm talking about temporally speaking, they do not negate the eternal truths that we accept by faith because those are about the goodness of God, what he did for us, the undeserved kindness that he gave us. You can't, you can't negate those, but you can put them in their proper perspective and see that, just like I told you, usually the good news comes when it's sandwiched in between a bunch of you, you failed at this, you failed at this, you failed at this, but the good news is God sees you as not having failed it because of the covenant he made and through what Jesus did. So hopefully with that, that one illustration being right there blatantly in one single sentence, you can say, yeah, I can see there is a, this concept. I can see that these epistles, the, the gospels very much put what God saw as past tense, but they very much put what we see and do as present tense. But thank God, God sees it as past tense. With that in mind, let's look at another scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you, being, present tense, and you being and you were dead in your transgressions, that, that's not correct. It's actually present tense when you look it up in the Greek. The word should be you being dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you formally walk according to the course of this world. Let's just take that right there. Present tense. And you being dead in your transgressions and sins because God sees you as dead to sin. You remember Romans 6, say Romans 6, 7, the, the verse that was right after the one that said the old man of us was crucified? Well, Romans 6, 7 goes on to say, for, for he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is his master. For the death that he died, he died to what? To sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When Paul was telling us about this eternal doctrine about that we have died with Christ, it also he also goes on to tell us more eternal truths that we are dead to sin. Do you remember Romans six fourteen? Sin is no longer your master because you are not under law but under grace. In Romans seven five and six. For you have died with Christ to the law in order that you might live for God. We have died to the law. We have died to sin. These are all eternal truths that we accept by faith because we, they do not coincide with our day-to-day -day experiences, but we accept them by faith. So remember that. So when it says, and you, in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you being, present tense, dead in your transgressions and sins. Why? Because this is God's point of view. We just looked at it in Romans, in which you formally walked according to the course of this world. Formally is past tense? Yes, because it's from God's point of view. It's present tense and past tense, right there in one verse. When we walked according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience, now working, present tense, in your day-to-day -day experience, this is what you're experiencing. I'm going to tell you the doctrines that concern what you experience in your day-to-day -day life. That the 
how the prince of darkness is working in you, even though from God's point of view, you formally walked like that. That's the good news. But the bad news is that the prince of the power of the air is working in you to make you not do what you want to do and make you do what you don't want to do. And it says he's working in the sons of disobedience. Remember, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. Remember, spiritual entities don't sin. 1 John 3, 9, the child born of God cannot sin because his sperm is in him. He cannot sin. 1 John 3, 9. Then it says, but the other child always sins. Well, that, that's the child of wrath or how, whatever synonym you want to use for the natural man again, the, the man of flesh. I'm telling you, the whole Bible shows these illustrations. 1 John 3, 9 is a classic illustration of the two natures. This is a classic illustration of the two natures and God's point of view about the two natures. And he's literally telling us that what is present tense in our life is former tense in his life. Among them, we too formerly live in the lusts of the flesh. There's just blatantly comes out and says, this is the flesh we're talking about. And God sees it as something we formerly lived in indulging in present tense in the desires of the flesh. Let me read that again. Among them we too formally lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging present tense the desires of our flesh and of the mind we were by nature, by our nature, ye Human nature, spirit nature, human nature, spirit nature, human nature, spiritual nature. He's talking about our two natures. It's so important to understand that the Bible gives us this concept about our two natures because you can't understand any of these passages without understanding the two natures. I never understood Ephesians chapter 2. I never understood it that, until I found out that what God saw is past tense and what I see is present tense. I, until I learned that, I couldn't properly read these passages. But it, it says, you were by nature children of wrath. Our human nature is the child of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's all pure eternal doctrine about, as it says, because of the riches of the grace. Be, be, being rich in mercy because of his grace with which he loved us. When we were dead, he made us alive to Christ. And what, what is the eternal doctrine that we're supposed to believe and accept by faith that he raised us and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did we? Did you ever feel yourself get in a big elevator and take off and head towards the third heaven? No, you haven't. You have to accept this doctrine. It is a doctrine. It is a teaching. You have to accept this idea that's being taught to you, many of us from the very first kind, that from God's point of view, you were seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, where you're always going to be perfect. And then there's a whole other host of verses that go off of this idea and solidify the idea. We don't have time to get in them because for right now, I just want you to catch this one concept, and that's that there are eternal points of view and temporal points of view many times right in the same passage, but it's very important to understand God's point of view and man's point of view, and that they are talked about, and they do not contradict each other. Everybody says Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6 is, is just a solid contradictory uh, passage. It, it just contradicts. It doesn't even make sense. It contradicts.
but it doesn't if you understand that we're talking about from two different vantage points, from two different perspectives. God's perspective is being taught here and man's perspective. Perspective is being taught here. God's perspective, you formally walk according to the power of the air and the spirit who's not now present tense. Your point of view, working in the sons of disobedience, now present tense. But in God's point of view, it was formally. Just read this passage with this new lens and tell me that's not what it's telling you. God's point of view versus your point of view. And it, it says... And he raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms. Well, guess what? Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, has a lot more to say about this teaching that was started in Ephesians. It was started in Romans, continued in Ephesians. Now it's going to be continued even more in Colossians. But it says, and that's right after it told you that you've been circumcised with a circumcision not done without hands in Colossians 2, 10 through 14. And in that faithful work of God, you were buried and raised with him. Now this is going to tell us again, just like Ephesians did, where we were seated. If then, see, if then or since then, it's, it's first class condition, so it should be since then. Since then, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep thinking about things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, remember Ephesians told us that we were raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms at his right hand. Well, this is saying, since that is true, start thinking about things above. Set your mind, verse 2, on things above on the things which are not on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. And since you've learned these eternal truths, therefore, verse 5, consider yourself or your members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and on and on it goes. And then in verse 7, it says, In them you also once walked. There we go with the past tense again. From God's point of view, you once walked them. From your point of view, you're still doing them when you were living in them. God's point of view. And in them you once walked when you were living in them. But now put them all aside. Anger, wrath, slander, abusive speech. Put them aside from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old man of us with his evil practices. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old man of us with his evil practices. Do you get that? It's saying don't lie to one another because in God's eyes you have laid aside that old man. You remember Romans 6, 6, that the old man was crucified, that Colossians 2, 10 through 16, that we were circumcised with the circumcision not made of hands because we died with Christ. The old man of us died with Christ and was buried. And then when you were raised, you were circumcised from that and that old man still stays dead. Well, he's saying, do not lie to yourself since God's point of view is that you already put to death that old man of us. It's blatantly telling you that. Then it goes on in verse, let me just read verse 9 again. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside, past tense, the old man of us with its evil practice. Then it goes on in verse 10. And put on the new self, which is the spirit, right? Remember the illustrations, the old man, new man, old self, new self, spirit, man. This is just another synonym for the spirit. Put on the new man who is, present tense, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian, slave or free man, but Christ is in all and is all and is in all. In other words, you put on the new man, or it says put on this new man. In other words, live by the Spirit's power and you won't do the things of the old man. Is saying the synonymously saying the same thing that God did in Romans 8. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live because your human nature can't do it. You can't put to death the old man. He, he will master you and cause you to embarrass yourself. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the old man and manifesting the new man, or if by the Spirit you are fulfilling all the righteous requirements of the law, those, who, those of you will fulfill all the requirements of the law if you do not walk according to human effort, but according to the Spirit's power, Romans 8, 4, that all these passages are telling us the same thing. Use the Spirit's power to live the Christian life. It's telling us in, in all these passages, and there's so many more of but these passages are telling us sober realities about ourselves that we have to clean up our act. And Paul even pointed out that one guy was having sex with his mother. So those are some pretty horrendous things. All the evil, the slander, the lying, the envy, the drunkenness, all those things that they needed to put away. He said, do it by reckoning yourselves as dead, because that's God's point of view, and rely on the Holy Spirit's power to live an exemplary Christian life. In other words... For your day-to-day -day experience, experience Jesus's power to live the Christian life and you'll, it'll go well for you. Don't experience your determination and your human effort because it won't happen so well. But in between where Paul is telling us how to live the Christian life and we're conceding that we don't live the Christian life as good as we want. And he's saying, so try the Spirit, try the Spirit to you. He's constantly interjecting this one idea that because of what Christ did at the cross, you're still holy and blameless. You're still unleavened. You still crucified the old man. You're still in the Spirit. You're still not in the mind of the flesh in God's eyes. In your wife's eyes, you are. See, there, there's differences in the doctrine. There's doctrines that tell you about in your wife's life how you look and act. There's also scriptures that tell us how we look and act in God's eyes, and God says we're okay with him. His sins and lawless deeds, God will remember no more. That's what it says the Spirit tells us. I've made a new covenant with you. Hebrews chapter 10, I've made a new covenant with you and I will put my spirit in your heart and your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's what the spirit reminds you of, these eternal truths. As a matter of fact, let, let's go to Hebrews. This is too important. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see, namely in verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, he, meaning Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made footstools for his feet. He has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to you and I when we've had a bad day. This is Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us, saying, This is a new covenant that I will make with you after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on your heart, and upon your mind I will write them. And your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's what Paul is doing when he says, clean out the old leaven. Oh, just as in fact you already have, he's reminding you that, oh, just, you know, 
Your sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more, even though you're having a bad day and even though I'm having the right to you to tell you not to have sex with your mother's wife, your father's wife, even though I'm having to tell you these, the, the good news, the gospel, the euangelion, is that God sees you as holy and blameless in his sight. God sees you as holy and blameless in his Isn't that exactly what Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1 says? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, just as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, he chose us to be the beneficiary of those people whose sins and lawless deeds he'll remember no more. He'll consider them as holy and blameless in God's sight. Even though Paul is teaching us about the need for sanctification for the people around us, that we need it, but it's not to look better in God's sight because the good news, the euangelion, the good news is that we are holy and blameless in his sight. Isn't that what I just read on the page? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless in his sight. That's the good news, that we're okay with God. But as servants of the people around us, as God's servants to the people around us, because that's what we are. If we're God's servants, we're God's servants to the people around us. We never made the grade as God's servants, as people who served God. Just look at Joshua 24, 15 and following, read the following verses, because he says you're not able to serve God. He's too holy. And we never did serve God because he was too holy. But we are God's servants. We're just God's servants to the people around us. And when we're having a bad day serving the people around us, we've got the Holy Spirit to remind us he remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more. And then we can come confidently into the throne to say, God, I need more help. And the worse our day is, the more we should come to the throne and say, God, I need your help. In the old covenant, you should run and hide because you're in danger of receiving the wrath of God. In the new covenant, you come to him to ask him to help you live the Christian life that you can't do so well. Is asking him for grace, the temporal form of grace, not the eternal form of grace that was given to you at the cross, but the temporal form of grace, which is given to you every day to get along with the people that you are with, to get along with your boss, to get along with the wife or the husband that you love so much and you're so desperately trying to get along with them. That's what you use the temporal form of God's grace to do. But I just wanted us to see that there are temporal truths and eternal truths. There is God's truth that we accept by faith, and then all the temporal truths that will be spoken of too, because these epistles and the gospels teach us everything that they teaches us, teach us is either an eternal truth or a temporal truth. They're all either eternal truths or temporal truth. They're all experiential truths or truths that we accept by faith. All of them. So it's good to know that they exist, right? Because most of my Christian life, I did not understand the idea of an eternal truth or a temporal truth. And I was confused when I read the Bible. I could not get a handle on it. I could not get a handle on it. And I'll bet you for you, a lot of the reason you can't get a handle on it is because you don't see these verses for what they are. 
But once you've noticed them as eternal truths and temporal truths, and the eternal truths are always good news, the eternal truths always give you eternal security, the fact that you can be secure about your eternal destination, the eternal truths give you that security, that is good news. The fact that all the eternal verses do that, and you accept those by faith because you can see yourself living as a real wretch, like Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will separate me from this? Thanks be to God, because he did. He separated us at the cross, and he separates us each and every day by putting to death the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of your human strength. And you don't have to rely on that anymore. You can rely on the Spirit's power and blossom, 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 blossom. So I just wanted us to know, because I think it's very important to know, understand that this Bible teaches us eternal truths and temporal truths, and sometimes the eternal truth is taught in just a phrase. Four or five words make up an eternal truth sometimes, and eternal truths can be in the same sentence with temporal truths, just as you, you have seen these scriptures show. It wasn't me telling you that. It was the scriptures showing you that there are eternal truths and temporal truths because you read it. Clean out the leaven, something you got to do because you're not doing it very well, just as in fact you already have. This is a fact that God sees. It's good news for you. The eternal truths are always good news. They always give you eternal security. So with that in mind, I'd like to just pray that we take root in this idea that this root, this idea takes root in us and its roots go deep so that we never forget this. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Father. Open the eyes of our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears so that we can hear all the good things that you have freely given us in the Spirit, Father. For the Spirit searches out the deep things of God, the good things of God, the eternal truths of God. So give us that mind of Christ and allow us to take root in this doctrine that we have seen tonight, this doctrine that there are temporal and eternal truths, and the eternal truths are good news always. Help us take root in that so we can no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and the wind and every wind of doctrine and the cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming allow us to take root so those ideas won't take us captive anymore we'll know the truth because what was written on the page is the truth we saw the truth we read it right off the page and the truth will set us free from all that condemnation and guilt that we feel about us. It'll set us free from putting other people under all that condemnation and guilt. The truth will set us free, and the truth is contained in your Bible on those written words. The truth doesn't necessarily come across the TV or the radio or the pulpit. It doesn't necessarily come, but when you're reading it from the book, you can take put comfort in that. You can take faith in what you read from the book. Because what you read from the book is never very confusing. It's pretty blatant, just like it is tonight. If, if any of us are saying, well, I, I had a hard time understanding what I read, that's just not the truth. You're not being genuine. You have a hard time believing what you said because of traditional points of view traditional points of view are wrestling inside of your mind, but you didn't have a hard time understanding it. It was pretty clear English right there. So with this in mind, I pray, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you rock and roll for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.